Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 2 from Part 1 of Secret Believers, What Happens When Muslims Believe in Christ, by Brother Andrew and Al Jansen. Chapter 2. England, Two Years Later. The train to London rocked as it sped through the countryside. Normally, if he wasn't catching up on much-needed sleep, Boutros enjoyed gazing out the window at the lush green landscape, hoping to catch sight of an old farmhouse with a thatched roof. Distinctive hedgerows divided farms and the rolling fields, populated by sheep and cows and occasionally a flock of Shetland ponies. The scene was such a stark contrast to the dry, rugged desert of his home in the Middle East. Soon, he would complete his postgraduate studies, and a major decision loomed over him. Should he stay in England, where there were several mission agencies that could utilize his talents, or should he return to his home country, where the church was withering under the oppressive power of a culture dominated by Islam? The internal struggle had intensified as he neared graduation, complicated by the young woman Nadira. They were studying at neighboring universities and had met at a gathering for Christian students. Like Boutros, Nadira was from a Middle Eastern country. They enjoyed meeting in a coffee shop to talk in Arabic about their Christian faith. They had not officially dated, but he knew that soon he would talk with her father and request her hand in marriage. Since they were from different countries, it would be simpler if they settled in neutral England and the opportunities here provided him many more options for supporting a family. But he sensed God had a different plan and he was praying for some clear indication of what that might be. As the train crept into Victoria Station, passengers rose to collect their belongings. Still deep in thought, Boutros waited. Only after everyone had departed his coach did he slowly rise and step onto the platform. Carrying a shoulder bag, he made his way through the terminal and down to the London Underground where he would catch a subway to his flat. Suddenly, a voice called out to him in his native Arabic, My dear Muslim brother, don't forget to come to the mosque for Friday prayers. Don't let the ways of the West ensnare you. If you, if we follow the way of Allah, we will one day win England for Islam. Butro stopped and stared at the bold missionary, then gently answered, You are mistaken. I am not a Muslim, brother. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. A look of disgust came over the missionary, and he turned on his heel and walked to the other end of the platform. Boutros boarded the subway, and as the doors closed and the train began to move, he saw the missionary speaking passionately to another unsuspecting foreigner. And then, in his mind, Boutros heard, This Muslim missionary is determined to change a western country for Islam, what about the great commission that I have given you? 
Boutros recognized that this was not his own thought, but the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit, and his heart answered, That is for the whole world, Lord. Surely I can stay here in England and do my part to help fulfill the Great Commission. Then he remembered the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The evangelistic thrust of the disciples started at their home and then moved outward. In the same way, Boutros sensed that he was being compelled to return to his home country. Boutros shuddered as he considered the implications, remembering from his Greek classes that the word witnesses is the same word as martyrs. To Did, this, did that mean that he might have to pay the ultimate price to be a witness back home? While the subway jostled him gently as it roared through the tunnel, Boutros wrestled with God. Hadn't missionaries served for many years in his country? And while missionary activity was no longer permitted, there were foreign Christians working in various secular occupations, providing a witness by their lives. Besides, if he returned home, how would he support a family? He could pastor a church, but church salaries were paltry. Uh, if he attempted any type of expanded work, he'd need help. And how would he find co-workers in a nation where 95% of the population was Muslim? What did God have to say about that? About, about that? All he heard in reply was the rumble of the train. Boutros had almost missed his stop. It was raining now as he climbed the stairs to street level and hurried the two blocks to his flat. He pushed open his door and picked up the stack of mail that had accumulated in the few days he'd been away. Quickly, he sorted through the bills and advertisements. One envelope caught his attention. It was from the Netherlands. He slit the envelope and pulled out a letter from Brother Andrew. A year earlier, Boutros had met Brother Andrew during a summer mission project on the island of Cyprus. The veteran missionary had delivered several talks to the mission team after the publication of his book, God Smuggler, which told about delivering desperately needed Bibles to churches in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Andrew was prevented from personally going back to the communist countries, so he had given more attention to the Islamic world and his messages focused on the challenges that Islam presented to Christian mission agencies. Between meetings, Andrew had listened to Boutros tell about the trials facing the church in his Middle Eastern country and had suggested that God might have a special work for him to do in that field. Eagerly, Boutros read the words from his mentor, I want to encourage you to return home after graduation. Boutros' eyes filled with tears as he read the sentences that gently reminded him that he was needed in his country to do the work he knew God had just called him to do. If any doubt remained about his responsibility, it was erased as he read the final lines of the letter. I know you must feel it. I know you feel it must be an impossible assignment. However, remember, one man with God is a majority. 
A few weeks later, Boutros made the short flight from London to Amsterdam and spent a day with Brother Andrew talking about the possibilities for ministry in his home country. Andrew's office felt like a refuge from a noisy and harsh world. There was a quiet hum of the heater running near the ceiling above Andrew's desk. Through one door was another workroom <clears throat> that looked out on a lush garden where Andrew spent much of his time when it wasn't raining. The moisture from the morning's showers added a luminous sheen to the rich green of the trees, bushes, and a tall hedge that separated Andrew's property from that of his neighbors. Brother Andrew seated himself in a rocking chair while Boutros sat back in a well-worn imitation leather sofa. Boutros looked around the room, enjoying the library feel uh, with floor-to-ceiling bookshelves lining two walls and another wall filled with mementos of Andrew's years of travel. In the center of the room was a large old bellows that served as a coffee table. Andrew explained that it was from a smithy. It reminds me that I was once a blacksmith, and my father was a blacksmith. In a book my father is called The Rembrandt of Blacksmiths, he tried desperately to teach me the trade, but he failed utterly. Andrew pulled out a small stuffed dog that plugged uh, the end of the bellows. Now don't be naughty and start pumping or I'll, I'll have soot all over the carpet. Boutros laughed. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me, he said. Andrew raised his hand. No, the honor is mine. I am here to serve you in any way I can that I can. Well, first let me say that I have decided to return to my country. I believe God has called me to work there, but I don't know where to begin. At the beginning, Andrew said with a laugh, the first step is to go. When I found that brochure for the Communist Youth Congress in Poland, all I did was grab my passport and buy a ticket and go. Once I was there, then I looked for my brothers. Once I found the churches, the rest followed naturally. I've heard you say that before. I seek the brethren. But what then? You listen. Andrew grabbed one of the many Bibles that filled several shelves of his office and opened it. The book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The letters to the seven churches, Boutro said. That's correct. It was the words written to the church in Sardis, Revelation 3-2, that became my life call. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. But I want you to notice two things about these seven letters. First, each one ends with the same phrase. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That means God is going to say something that is not in the Bible. That means the Spirit is has something to say in every time, in every generation, in every situation. I spoke on this at a pastor's conference on the Mount of Olives many years ago. One pastor got up and said, Andrew, tell us, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? That is exactly what I cannot tell you. You must listen. What is the Spirit saying to the church in your country? Butcher 
closed his eyes for a moment to reflect on these words. They seemed so natural to Andrew, as though this was a message he preached hundreds of times, and not just preached but lived. So should I talk to the denominational leaders, the bishops? You should let the leaders know what you are doing, but go to the towns and villages, sit with the pastors and listen to them, ask them to tell you their hopes and fears, learn about the spiritual health of their congregations. Are the people weak or strong spiritually? I don't think we're very strong, Boutros lamented. First out, or find out, for example, the scriptures say that every person in the world has a right to hear the gospel. How is the church doing in that regard? Are they reaching out? Are they having an impact in their communities? Are they seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ? But we live in a Muslim society where maybe 5% of the population. Does God want Muslims to hear the gospel? Yes, I know he does. That is my heart's desire. But most Christians are afraid to witness for Jesus. So what is the Spirit saying to your situation? Does he want you to help strengthen the churches so that they will be an effective witness to Muslims? I know this makes you, you vulnerable. Consider that God was vulnerable. He saved others. He could not save himself. We have to maneuver ourselves into a position where we are vulnerable, but for one purpose, to save others. I don't know what that means. Maybe Christians give their property to serve Muslims in their community. Maybe they take a risk and go and speak to terrorist leaders. Remember that we are here to save others. Boutros let out a big sigh, clearly troubled by the implications of what he heard. In his country, people were rarely so direct in their conversations, but Andrew had quickly forced him to confront the core issues he would need to face when he returned home. You said there were two things in all seven letters. The second thing that thing is that in each letter Jesus speaks about the one who overcomes. That tells me that the church should attack. It should reach out, not just survive, but go on the offensive. And when it does, we are promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the attack of the church. But when Jesus says, he that overcomes, he also implies that we may not overcome. That's where my call came in Revelation 3.2. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I think the church is just trying to survive in this in my country. Then strengthen her. God has an important job for her to do. The work of the church is not survival. She exists to fulfill the Great Commission. Her work is making disciples of all nations. You know that Islam is an aggressive evangelistic religion. Much of the church isn't meeting that challenge. We are not doing what God told us to do. Our aim is that the world will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Do you have any programs I could use that have worked in other countries? Andrew shook his head. We've never gone to any country and prescribed the medicine for the sick or suffering church. We've always gone and asked, what can we do for you? 
because the Spirit has to speak to them, we go and strengthen the church so it can function in their situation, living under any regime, whether political or religious, that hinders or weakens their ability to fulfill the Great Commission. In Eastern Europe, the desperate need was for Bibles, but in other places, there are no seminaries and no pastors need, and the pastors need training. In many Muslim countries, most of the Christians can't read, so to help strengthen the church, we provide literacy training. In other countries, the Christians are at the bottom of the economic ladder. We help them start small businesses so that they become self-sufficient and have greater witness in the community. I can already hear the protests. The Muslims will not allow us to evangelize. Islamic culture oppresses Christians. Pastors will say it's dangerous for the church to reach out to Muslims. Of course it's dangerous, but it's a lot more dangerous for all of us if we don't do it. Even in a conquering army, there are casualties. Safety is not the issue when we look at the Great Commission. The purpose of the church cannot be to survive or, or even to thrive, but to serve. How do you serve? Andrew paused before he said, Sometimes servants die in the serving. There was silence for a few moments. The heater had cut off, and the only sound was a gentle rain tapping on the skylight overhead. Then Brucho said, I have to be honest. I don't know if I can do this. Andrew gazed intently at his friend. I know, he said, his voice gentle. You feel inadequate. That's exactly how I felt when I launched out behind the Iron Curtain. However, in time, others joined me. Remember, you aren't doing this alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. He will guide you. He will raise up others in the country to work with you. And in time, you will meet others like you who are serving the persecuted church in Muslim countries and communist countries and Hindu countries. The church in the West is helping when people hear what God is doing through you, they will want to pray and give other resources. If you obey God, he will provide all that you need to do his work. I want you to know that I will pray for you every day, and if there is anything I can do to help, I will do it. Next time, Chapter 3, A Middle Eastern Country, One Year Later.